You are listening to Changing the Game with me, Wilson Casado. What is the game? The game is everything. Everything from the education you receive to the career or business you pursue. In regards to diversity and inclusion, though, there isn't a level playing field. The show will allow us to hear from those who are challenging the status quo. It is about creating a new future where things are done differently, a future with diversity and inclusion, and most importantly, a future where everyone has access to play the game. Hello everyone, welcome back to Changing the Game. So it was, uh, you know, it was a very exciting start, so we're now coming back and, and having a new guest today. Today I'm going to talk with Pia, Pia Tursinov. Is that how I say your name, Pia? It's nice, Turchinov, yes. It's like Tur a CH in it, but uh, yeah, close enough. <laughs> nice. So uh, for us that don't know you yet, uh, Pia, uh, Pia manages what is nowadays referred as to a portfolio career. She holds a number of positions that are connected through a common focus, focus on the opportunities uh, that innovation, technology, and diversification offer. Originally, Pia was a corporate lawyer in Sydney and later uh, practiced uh, law in Western Australia. Pia shaped an evolving career from legal advisor to company director, innovation advisor, and diversity advocate. Her journey includes being handed the reins of the family business in her mid-20s. I'm very curious about that. Founding several commercial enterprises, I stint as uh, SM for the Starlight Children's Foundation, consulting with state and federal government, uh, and that's over 15 years in the innovation and technology sphere. Pia is a committed and active protagonist within Australian innovation ecosystem, a true you are, with a passion for entrepreneurship, disruption, and connecting Australian smarts to the world. She shares her expertise as an advisor, mentor, and facilitator, as well as a keynote speaker on topics related to future skills, innovation, diversity, and STEM. Pia was owed the 2018 Excellence in Gender Equality or Gender Equity Promotion Award by the United Nations Association of Australia. She guided the growth of women in technology in WA, WITA, in her role as chair, and currently chairs the WA Aus Cyber Innovation Hub. Her experiences to date reflect her guiding principle, navigating life with curiosity. That's an awesome bio, Pia. That sounds really intimidating. I'm listening to it. Yeah. <laughs> it's always strange when somebody else reflects on what you do, isn't it? That's true. So, I'll, look, I'll start with a traditional question. So we, we read your bio. Uh, but can you talk a little bit more about who Pia is? Sure, sure. Thank you, first of all, for having me on. I, I'm really uh, honoured to be part of your conversation piece. Uh, yes, so that, that's the professional peer. I guess um, 
The real peer or the, the private peer is a daughter of a migrant family, like so many of us, first generation migrants, born and raised in Sydney, um, with, you know, high aspirations by the whole family as to what you would achieve, you know, in the land of opportunity and the like. And I don't know if you can relate to it, but that idea of, you know, we're giving you all these opportunities, what are you going to make of it and do us proud? So I'm an only child, um, and that really shaped, I think, my world in many ways. I grew up in Sydney, but then spent most of my childhood overseas. So I actually grew up in Austria. My mother was Austrian, which was an amazing experience, not only from learning another language, but also I think it really started seeding that idea of a global perspective and that curiosity about how other cultures, other people, how other parts of the world face and, and deal with things. Yeah. Um, so yes, and then then came back as a teenager and and then finished high school in Australia and studied in Sydney, eventually moving to Perth um, in the late 1990s and been in Perth ever since then. So I consider myself a West Australian. That's very nice. So uh, what what a what an interesting uh, journey, I guess. Uh, I think when when we when we start changing the game, we we were talking about uh, innovation, education, and diversity, and how these things uh, make difference for business. So when you know, listen to you, and you know, hearing your profiles, so it, it, it seems like all of those three things are pretty strong in your uh, in your story, I guess. I think the first question I I, I ask you is: you start your life. Uh, our, our, you start your career as a corporate law, lawyer. And what was that change from a corporate lawyer to more this innovation ecosystem? <laughs> well, I suppose I'll go back a step in that, um, you know, unlike some people, I didn't grow up thinking I wanted to be a lawyer. My dream was to become a pediatrician. Um, so, you know, I aimed to get into med school. I missed out to get into med school by three points, which I was very disappointed in. And like many kids, you know, you then tick the next box underneath, you know, medicine, and then underneath that is law. So I ticked law, which was a strange career for me to choose because I was uh, pathologically shy. And that's probably something many, many people don't realise about me is that I was an absolute introvert, very afraid of public speaking, uh, answering questions in class, all of that. So why I ticked law is beyond me. To this date, I think I was attracted by the TV shows and the power suits <laughs> and the like. Um, so, look, you know, I, I was in the legal profession, corporate commercial law. It was an absolute exciting space to be in in the late 80s and 90s. Um, you learned an incredible amount of skills around business and people negotiating and the like. But I quickly realized, I think, that I found law too one dimensional. Um, I always got excited about getting parties around a table, negotiating, making deals happen. But then I wanted to keep getting involved with the project. And they were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That's all we need from the lawyers. Go away and do the next thing. So I realized that I guess I was very creative at heart and that sense of wanting to build things. I couldn't get out of that legal profession. So uh, mm. as, as you intimated before, I had the incredible opportunity to take over the family business. So that was really the start of my entrepreneurship and innovation journey mm. in, a, in a career sense. Very nice. Do you mind sharing in what area of business you had that experience? 
But yes, um, it was high-end jewellery that I cut my teeth in. So think diamonds, gemstones, gold, silver. Um, so I, I learned that from my parents who both ran the business. We had multiple retail outlets. We had duty-free shops. So even in my teenage years, I, you know, I was a typical kid that spent the weekends and school holidays working in the business. I learned how to sell. I learned customer service. I learned how to deal with suppliers. Um, you know, the idea of finances and, and how that dynamic works and how sometimes you don't pay yourself because you've got to pay your staff or, you know, all those hits, the highs and lows of, of small to medium sized business. Um, but it was an excellent space because it was also, it had a global footprint. So we would go to international trade fairs, travel the world, do, you know, wholesale buying. And again, that gave me that opportunity to see how business was transacted in, in the world sense on the world stage so to speak so one one thing you know very interesting that i noticed that you mentioned about your desire to be a doctor and then ended up being a lawyer and and later on ended up working science and technology which pretty much takes those you know doctor lawyer and engineering sort of you know you, you navigated through the whole maybe, the whole, maybe. I was, I was reflecting on that as well. And I think, you know, my desire to become a pediatrician was I wanted to help people. I had this vision of, of adding value and helping. And, and you're right. I think where I've landed now, 35, you know, years later, I guess, is I work with people. I help people. I help them get their ideas uh, into reality and the like. So in some ways, full circle, we often end up, I think, where we were meant to end up. And that's been my journey. So it's interesting you're talking about you wanted to help people. So I noticed in the way you tell your story that uh, would I be correct if I assume that you had a very privileged upbringing or you know, is it something that you're potentially very grateful for? Privileged and, upbringing, did you say? Yeah. Uh, working class, true, true working class. Um, there was no spare money around. We never went on family holidays. There was nothing shiny or spectacular about our lifestyle. But what I did learn was the, the benefits of hard work, of tenacity. And, and really, I credit my parents for that, that journey around entrepreneurship. They taught, I mean, they were self-made people, like so many of that generation. They taught me the value of having an idea, going for it. And you know what? Most importantly at all, taking risks. They, they showed me how to take a calculated risk and not to be afraid of failure. Um, you know, that, that old mantra, what's the worst that could happen? You know, I, I literally grew up with that. What's the worst that could happen? And I still use it today. That's interesting because you, you talk about that with such, you know, so, so natural for you to talk about that. And uh, when we're talking about uh, career development and helping people in that sense or, or, or or working with uh, employees and the people that we help, the entrepreneurs. So we pretty much uh, challenge that traditional view of, uh, of uh, you know, seeking stability with a job sort of mentality. And then you're talking very naturally about no, taking risks and going for it. And, you know, what, you know, what is that? Uh, what is, you know, the bad, the, the worst that can happen? So I think that's... Uh, that's, a, I think that's, it, it comes along your story very clear that that different 
perspective of risk in in, in you know in the future uh, appetite yeah it does, doesn't mean that i i fe don't fear failure it doesn't mean that i i like failure either like everyone you know i have my doubts i have your moments where you go you know what if i i don't succeed but i think it's that the fundamental basic is there that if you always keep going back to well what's the worst that can happen is it a calculated risk have i measured it all up then um, I think you're right. It, it shaped the way we have careers nowadays, hasn't it? It's, it's really changed the opportunities. And yep. I talk about having a career, you know, a portfolio career. Ten years ago, people would have looked at you and gone, what on earth is a portfolio career? And I still have people going, what does that really mean? But it really does mean that you don't have to be wedded to one particular source of income or one particular activity. So, uh, I, I think it's just opened up a whole raft of opportunities for people. And it also de-risks it. Yeah, because if you can have five or six different things happening, one doesn't succeed, you pivot and you have lots of others to keep you afloat. That's a very interesting perspective. So sometimes I do hear people coming uh, and having a conversation with me and talk about the fact that if they get a job, uh, that brings stability. And I, in my mind, have sort of such a different perception of what is a job working for other people. like. You, know, you don't have that stability. That's, you know, all, all the uncertainties are on the hands of someone else. So you, you have very little to work with. And I think that concept of stability is so uh, just perception, I guess. So right. And, you know, I flip it, Wilson. I flip it to autonomy. So for me, it's about having autonomy over my own future. Yeah. So it, it comes yeah. with a higher risk. Absolutely. Yeah. But that is something that I'm, I'm willing to sacrifice, you know, the stability. And it just means, I mean, you still have to work hard for it. You still have to be perhaps a little bit more creative and more strategic. But, you know, it works. It's not for everyone, but it works for me. You did, uh, you did mention before that uh, it looks for the people that know you professionally, that you are extrovert, you know, out there, outspoken, etc. But you did mention that you were more like a shy person, shy you know, personality. Uh, how do you think that changed? What, what, why is that we think you are otherwise? I get that asked a lot, you know, um, that, and truly it was not until my late 20s that I, I really felt comfortable even just speaking in a group conversation. Like I wasn't just shy, I was pathologically shy. For me, it was, uh, you know, law certainly pushed me out of my comfort zone, definitely, because it is a space where you have to you know, do public speaking. Um, that certainly toughened me up in many ways. But the real changing point, I think, came, I decided to leave law at, at some point. Uh, this was after I'd taken over the family business. We moved to Perth. I went back into law, did it for a few more years, and then went, I just need a break. And uh, I took on the role of the state manager for Starlight Children's Foundation. Yeah? So not-for-profit, very much being the face of the organisation and sort of leading the business of, of the, the enterprise. And in my first week, they basically said to me, so, you know, we've got a major sponsor dinner on, there's gonna be a thousand people in the room and you're gonna to have to give a speech. Uh, so I quickly realized that, that was like the, you know, holy moly moment for me, that I'm gonna to have to do something about this. And look like with everything in life, I'm a big believer in pushing yourself out of your boundary and your comfort zone, but also giving yourself the skill set that you need to overcome it. So I invested in a public speaking coach for myself very privately, 
no big fanfare, you know, I worked for half a dozen sessions with them. And then I learned every time an opportunity came up, I said, yes. And then I went home and had a panic attack and worry about what I would do. But each time you do it, it's like desensitizing yourself to something. And then you realize that you're not too bad at it. And then you realize that other people have got the same issues and insecurities. And one thing leads to another, you know, and now I love it. <laughs> I love the way you articulate going through that process. Uh, well, look, uh, and I think uh, later on, you, uh, you, you, you came to Perth and you start being more involved in this innovation ecosystem. And, and you know, when, when we met a few years ago, remember we were, you work in the Innovation Hub. Uh, <clears throat> So, but, but more recently, your peer is more associated with women in technology and you have that sort of uh, diversity, uh, being an, a diversity advocate as, 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 your, as is in your bio. So where that started? That started at home. I had a fierce mother who was fiercely independent and very outspoken and a feminist. She really believed that anything is possible and nothing should hold you back even from a generation where you know a, a lot of things weren't open to women they didn't have a lot of choices and the other second thing was I had a father who was incredibly supportive so I had that male sponsor that male mentor very early on in life who constantly validated and supported me and made me realize that you know even as a woman there were there were barriers, but there, there were ways in which you could address those barriers and try and overcome them. So uh, I think learning and seeing and how much that helped me, and I'll go, I cut my teeth in a very male-dominated profession, the legal profession. You know, when I, when I started law, it was still a profession where they dictated what women had to wear. We weren't allowed to wear pants to go to court. You know, we had to wear dark colours, no bright colours. There literally was a dress code. So things have changed quite a bit, but, you know, learning each time and seeing the challenges and the barriers that women still have is what really, I think, motivate, motivated me to share the lessons I've learned, you know, share the fact, you know, what's been difficult for me, but also now that I've got a voice, help actually amplify that conversation. And for me, it's all about amplifying. We need to get this message out. There's still so much that needs to be done. And I'm also a mother of three daughters, so uh, I've got a vested self-interest in enabling the next generation to do better than we did. That's pretty nice. So uh, I wonder, uh, the, with the work that you do with women in technology, you know, you did before, so I wonder, your story of having very supportive uh, parents and having that sort of uh, you know strong emotional intelligence or emotional support coming uh, 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 for you so I reckon that you meet you have met in this journey lots of girls that didn't have the same sort of upbringing they, they find themselves in a situation where maybe the self-esteem is low maybe they're not sure whether that you know that those opportunities are for them or not so is there uh, a story that you start with when you're talking with these girls and ladies? I don't 
there's one single story depends on their perspective. What I've learned over the years is that there's different lenses to this, you know, I mean, every woman's journey and experience is different. And, and the big nuances are cultural. Well, I, you know, I remember a conversation, I was mentoring some female scientists as one of the accelerator projects. And I was giving them tips on how to network and how to get into a room and how to enter a conversation that predominantly male and you don't know anyone and, and the like. And afterwards, a couple of them came up to me and said, that's great advice. But, you know, we come from a culture where women are meant to be very much in the background. We are not encouraged to step forward. So they didn't have, you know, the cultural upbringing that I had. And that was a real wake up moment for me to be more cognizant and to be more aware of those cultural differences. Mm. So the stories in that context would be different to, uh, you know, somebody who's, let's say, in the tech space, and this is, you know, where women in technology is really all about. It's about role modeling what's possible, role modeling stories that other people have, have had and are willing to share. And each one of us sees something different in other people's stories. You know, you'll hear something and take something different away than what I will hear, as will the next woman. So I tend to talk more in, in larger generic terms and then try and unpack where a individual's particular barriers are, mm. uh, because there's no one solution fits all. But that, that's the joy of networks such as Women in Technology, yep. because there are so many people and so many different women and men and supporters um, that everyone can find somebody that will resonate with them. Pretty good. So uh, I am I am in that STEM career, right? So in 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 leadership role in the company that operates in that area. So sometimes, kind of, uh, we we find ourselves in a desperate situation because we want to get the uh, the diversity right or the gender balance right, and we got to uh, big barriers. Now you know we we. Don't have the girls applying for the jobs, you, you know, and 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 what comes to my to our mind is, you know, we we're not giving up, so we're gonna go ahead and do something about it. Sometimes uh, is uh, you know we, we we got dramas in terms of what do we do next. So then my question uh, for someone that has experience in this space is, what should we do next? To, to make sure that we do have more girls in STEM and, and, and we get the balance right? Well, it's a multitude of things. And just keep doing, keep doing is the short answer. The long answer, I think, um, you know, for the next generation of girls coming through, I think we really need to look at the way we educate girls. Uh, so there's a great push around STEM subjects and, you know, targets on how do we get more girls interested in STEM and bring those capabilities with them. But what I'm seeing is that we also need to start finding a way to teach girls far younger about self-worth, how to articulate that confidence, how to become, you know, more confident public speakers, have the skill sets that we're sort of teaching the 30-year-olds now. Why can't we teach that to girls at schools? Why am I, I talking to 15-year-olds and I say, what are you good at? And I often get from girls, oh, nothing. Yeah. And I have asked that same question to a boy and I will get usually four or five at least points about what he's great at. So can we build in, you know, I think really a curriculum structure whereby those tactical skills are taught a lot earlier and become more tangible. 
in that space. And then I think that'll translate to, you know, women that are already in industry or, or adult women. Um, there are a, a lot of the conversation pieces we have there is around, you know, sponsor, sponsors and mentors. And mm. really, I think really getting serious about that. And that's where, you know, yourself and, and your network of influence can do so much as well to, mm. to pull the women up into the conversation piece, to pull them up into the leadership meetings, bring them forward when it comes to having new board members and the like, and actively look for who you could put forward, not to say that they get the seat because they're a woman, mm. but have, you know, make sure that they're part of the conversation piece and the choice. Because very often we know that we really have to pull women into that. And conversely, we need to empower women to be more confident, to step into it, to, to gather the skills they need, but not spend all their time becoming mm. perfect before they put their hand up for something. Mm. So I wish there was a simple answer. I wish there was, you know, do this, it'll fix everything. But I've got great hope. I think women of the next generation, and I see it reflected in my adult daughters, you know, what they are willing to put up with is very different to what we did. And their mm. expectations are very different as well. And I think that will calibrate the way industry and the way business is starting to look at the gender conversation. Well, that's very interesting. So you have that sort of, I know the previous question had that sort of more professional flavor to it. But then you talk in the beginning, now you mention again, uh, your daughters. Yeah. Uh, you, you, as maybe maybe I'll go for a question in that sort of more parenting side of it. That's kind of personal to me because I had I have I have two boys, so one of them is teenager, fifteen years old now. Good luck. Yeah, <laughs> don't tell me. <laughs> uh, but you know, the, I'm very grateful that we have been able to have a few conversations and and get his perspective of the whole conversation uh, on consent, on, you know, that how they, how they, they, how they deal with their masculinity, what that means to them and et cetera. And I think the subject is very complex because they can not even relate to my own experience to, to understand what they, what's going on now because it's a very different time. Uh, is there any particular approach uh, that you have reflect on in terms of how you approach your girls and how you approach your boys uh, in, in, in their role in that conversation? I think the, the biggest lesson I've learned is the, the power of role modeling. You know, we talk about role modeling and we talks about role models and in business we talk about it. But really as a parent, you need to role model the behavior that you want to see reflected in your children. And it's easier said than done at times. And, and what I've seen myself is I've learned an awful lot from my daughters as they matured and became young adults, especially in the whole world around, you know, gender, sexuality, uh, the LGBTQI conversation, that spectrum conversation. And that is, you know, again, something our generation didn't grow up with, the language, the language is changing. So I, I really made an effort to listen and to try and learn. And I got lots of things wrong along the way. And there were arguments and the odd tears where, you know, things went very pear-shaped. But, but really that, that mutual learning is really important. And, 
in the long run, when I reflect back to them and like any mother, you know, I worked while I had children. I changed lots of careers. I was sometimes, you know, we network at night. So sometimes you're not at home. Um, they reflect back to me and say, look, it's okay. Because what we saw is how you navigated that world and we learned through your behavior. So I think the, the role modeling and holding yourself accountable to keep learning and then share that with your children, regardless of the age that they're at, is really important. So I've got young nephews, they're only uh, 12 and five. And, you know, they were falling into some of that language around pinks for girls, blues for boys, you know, and being very gender specific. And I've pulled them up and we talked about superheroes and strong superhero, you know, role models and women and all of that Wonder Woman and that, and contextualizing it in their language. And now they're coming to the point where they're saying, oh, Pia, you know, there's this great movie come out. It's got this great female role model in it. So they're starting to see things slightly differently. So I think it's baby steps, incremental conversations. But once they're young adults, it seems to come together. That's awesome advice, Pia. So that's so good. So it comes back to uh, a whole lot of the modern conversations that we're having. And, you know, as a see it, be it, you know, and, uh, it, it comes all together in, 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 in your advice. That's pretty good. So uh, I've, look, the beautiful of this sort of conversation is that it's so good that suddenly we already have 30 minutes going on. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and unfortunately then we have to, you know, to live for the next one. So I'm pretty sure we'll have other, other subjects and other things to talk with. So I would like to maybe close by and my question would be more like, uh, try to give that uh, the, the final sort of uh, support and I will focus in, in female and, and girls uh, that at this point in time, they are uh, you know, the, uh, not knowing what to do and looking for change, but don't know what where to seek help. Uh, you know, what sort of advice they can get. So, what what could we tell some of these girls if they listen to this talk? I'd encourage um, women and, and young girls. Uh, first of all, get out of your head. Get out of that conversation that's going on your in your head round and round, and actually verbalize it with somebody you trust. So whether it's male or female, um, whether it's a family member or a colleague or just a friend, have that conversation. And by often I find by speaking out loud, you somehow create a bit more tangibility of what it is that you're looking for. There's great ways to connect. There's lots of mentor networks. You know, there are groups like Women in Technology. Don't let the names of organizations put you off. Don't prejudge. Mm. So I think, you know, talk, ask questions, follow the breadcrumbs, and then be brave enough to come along to a few events and try it, try it out. And you will find your tribe, but you do need to shop around, you know, the tribe won't find you necessarily. So there's a bit of bravery, there's a bit of Googling, and there's a bit of asking questions. You know, Perth is a wonderful place. It's two degrees of separation. It doesn't take too long. Reach out on LinkedIn, reach out to, to women and men. There is a way forward. Very nice. So I'm, I'm doing a, a, my own reflection of what, you, what we talk in the last 30 minutes and it's so much. So I'm just thinking, oh, I need to listen to this again and again and again, because that's a collection of, of good advice and good points to, 
uh, to I, I, I learn from other people too. So you never stop learning. That's the biggest mm -hmm. lesson. Uh, Pia, uh, thank you very much for being part of Changing the Game. So I love this conversation. I hope you love it too. And I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing you, liaison with you and, 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 and catching up more in the future. Thank you for the opportunity. And I look forward to listening to other women's stories and other men as well. I think it's fabulous that you're doing it. Really appreciate that support. Thanks, Wilson. Thank you. Thank you, everyone.